0: I want to say again with all the others that it's, it's a great privilege to do these conferences. And particularly this one has become important to us. Because right at the core of everything that we have taught is that we have to rely on God. From the very beginning, the school was founded so that people would know what it meant to really rely on God. I've said it over and over and over again, but again, it just gives you a feel for why the school's here Mr. Carroll said he, he had worked with missionaries for too many years, and he came to this conclusion that to them prayer was incidental, not fundamental. That was I, I can, He said that over and over again to me. I'll say it over and over again to you. So that being able to pray, being able to actually meet with God on a regular basis and trust Him is core to our whole experience. And so it's, this is, the to me, one of the most important parts of the whole year. The prayer conference. We get together and think about that. Encourage. If we can do anything to encourage and strengthen people in their confidence in the prayer life, then it's all to the benefit of God. So let's commit our time to the Lord and we're going to think together once again. Father, we come and ask you to minister to us by your word. Teach us your way. Meet us by the spirit of God to enter into it. And we're trusting you for that, and we would pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I believe the Lord has something to say to us this this week, and it, I think it's pretty, um, it becomes obvious to me because I, I don't have, I only knew roughly what Don was going to speak about. I didn't know at all what Colin was going to speak about because he didn't even know until yesterday. All right? So that was uh, that was out of bounds. And I thought, well, here's here's a, Here's something that's been really on my heart recently, um, and um, I'll just—I you know, would be out of everybody else's way, and I'd do this. But it turns out that if I don't get it said right, just listen to them, because that's what God's saying to us. He's saying certain particular things in this conference, and already, and so we want to be listening to what their voice is. I'm going to be uh, looking at a verse, a well-known verses in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter four. Um, Verses 14 through 16, I'll read them as we begin, but I'm going to go other places first. It says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. And in this part concerning prayer, it's, it's all leading to a prayer life. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Um, before we get there, I just note that the uh, theme that we set for this is that matter of keeping on, keeping on in prayer, continuing in prayer. Of course, that reminds us of a verse. It's not exactly the quote there, but it, it reminds us of a, one of the important verses on prayer in Luke chapter 11. When Jesus is speaking about prayer, he says this after he's given some illustrations, therefore, ask and keep on asking. Now, that's not what it says in your Bible. It says ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened. But again, to get the, which so often said, but to get the Greek idea there, it is continually ask, continually seek continually find, or continually knock. And it carries one of the most profound promises from God in the Word of God. For everyone who does that receives, finds, and has the door open. That's pretty good. All right? So that you can't fail if you just persevere. That's the way he puts it in prayer. You cannot fail if you persevere. Now, that doesn't mean... He's not saying there that I can get whatever I want from God by persevering. Well, he's saying that the purpose of God will be fulfilled in prayer if I'll just persevere. Now, again, we're not going to spend a long time on that. That's just a thought that that could lead us to why we're we're considering this. Um, The other reason we have a school is because Mr. Carroll was convinced that people didn't understand the spiritual conflict they were in. They they acted as if this seen realm and the realm of the intellect was all there was to, to relating truth to other people. And one of the things you find out in a hurry if you're involved in Christian work is that while you're trying to build, somebody's trying to tear it down. That everything that is out there to be grabbed is being opposed. We're in a war. It's a war for the souls of men. And if the enemy knows that if I persevere in prayer... I will succeed, then it would stand to reason that my prayer life will become a target of attack. Why would you, you know, you're not going to, in a conflict, if you want to win the conflict, you're going to have to attack the strong point of your opponent and try to disable that. And that's why, uh, again, it's part of the burden. I have to learn how to persevere in all this. All right, and that brings us back to the book of um, book of Hebrews, I'm going very, very quickly. I, I want to say, I, I told Colin before I started, today is going to demand enormous amounts of discipline on my part. So I'm, I'm trying to go quickly because have got to get to a long way and the, the clock is ticking. It just keeps ticking. So we're going to, I am moving and I realize that. I will sit down and explain all the pieces later on if you want to talk about it more. But uh, that brings the book of Hebrews and these verses, you know, when I first read these verses or uh, that is read them to study them. I was in my early 20s I had a, a Sunday school class and I was studying it. I really didn't like these verses when you're in your early 20s. Uh, maybe not everybody, but again, I'm early 20s. And I'm a I'm a child of the 60s. All right. I'm not a, I'm not a millennial. I'm a child of the 60s. All right. And I was taught. I mean, it was part of the culture I grew up in. You had to be strong. You had to take care of yourself. You had, to, you didn't show weakness. Your job was to learn how to, to grab hold of things. I like verses like, "I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me." That that's a good verse. You know, that's that's a that's a manly verse. That's a that's a, I can take hold of that verse. And I come to a verse, and this one, I just be honest with you, this passage seemed just a little bit weak. It seemed like something for, anyway, I won't go into that, <laughs> for people over here. And it would be nice to be able to tell them, but I do not want to get into that. But that's because at the very beginning, I'm I'm looking at this thing, and I'm not understanding what's going on here. And I'm not understanding the Christian life. I'm very young. I mean, I've only been converted a few years, and, and I'm in the very early stages of figuring out what God's doing and how he's doing it. So, So I admit that there were problems there. But in order to understand those verses, I think you need to to keep in mind why the writer is writing what he's doing. There is no New Testament epistle which is more carefully constructed than the book of Hebrews. It is a message. Just like I'm giving a message this morning, and I have a point to what I'm trying to say, and there's a reason why I'm putting the pieces in place. There's a reason why he puts all the pieces in place. He has a goal. He's going to make a call at the end of this book. It is all oriented towards this. Let us run with endurance the race that's set in front of us, All right? The race that's before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, all right, of faith. Let us run with endurance. Keep on going. Don't stop. And that running with endurance, the endur- word endurance kind of includes, the Greek word for endurance includes a, a number of different concepts that so we have to kind of mix them all up and put them out in front of us. It, on the one side, it has to do with patience. It has to do with patience in circumstances that don't, don't get you riled up and, and, and overthrown. Right? You're, you're confident. At least you're patient with the circumstances. But it's more than just patience. It's more than patience. You can be patient and sit on... You know, just sit on the side. But it also has to do with courage. It has a patience, but it also has a courage element. That you're going to do it. You're going to, I'm mean, going to be patient with what happens. I'm going to do it. And then there's a third element to it that has to be kind of, it's fortitude that it has actual strength. So this word, it's a, it's a powerful word. We have to run with endurance. Patience. Strength. All those things. Okay, now, the reason we bring that up is that is to be run. Here's another part that the writer is facing. It's to be run in the race that's set before us. And that that picture is important there. I don't choose my race. He's just gotten through with a chapter in which he discusses some of the, or relates to us, excuse me, Uh, Some of the Old Testament characters and the things they went through. Abraham's race was not like Moses' race, was not like David's race, was not. Some men, again, he says, some men conquered kingdoms by faith. And others faced the fires by faith. Some did exploits by faith. Some were imprisoned by faith. The race that they ran was set in front of them. They didn't choose that race. Now, you choose some part, and again, we live in a country where you have a a vast opportunity to choose, but for the most part, your life is set in front of you. It's just set in front of you. The students had a privilege to listen to a man who was a student here many years ago. And I remember him as a student. He was one of the... uh, He's one of those very encouraging students. He is wholehearted. I mean, he is. He's headed for the field. He was headed for the field when he was fourteen years of age, and all he wanted to do was find out what do I have to know to get there. All right. And so he was was here, purposing to go, and he did. He went, and he told us in that that uh, meeting, just giving his testimony. He talked to us about life as as you as it works out. He says I had in my mind determined I was going to that place, I was going to die in that place. I was going to be one of those kind of guys. And for 25 years, he went, and I'm telling you, he was in a rough place. And I mean, a, not a rough place, a place which is uncomfortable to live, right? difficult to live, All right. He used to talk to us about taking his, he would have to go to the capital city and then get his materials to, or his supplies to live out there, and he would go back, and he said, along with his truck, he had to carry parts for his truck because he knew it was going to be broken between here and here. He would have to rebuild it on the way. So I, that's, that to me is difficult, all right? You know, that, 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 I would still be alongside of the road someplace. I probably wouldn't have left knowing what I know about mechanics. But the point is this. He, he overcame this for years. And I won't go over the details because it's not important to us, but then he just said, but life happened. I like the way he put it. But life happens. And his circumstances changed. And he couldn't continue. He couldn't continue. You see, you run the race that's set in front of you, and the race took a turn. How many of us have known that? Boy, we thought this is the way it was going to go, and life takes a turn. (laughs) That wasn't where we were headed for. That's not what I expected. And, and very often it's tied because, you, in like in his case, he believed that if he was wholehearted to serve God, that surely God would enable him in this, but we're going this way all of a sudden. And and we meet that, right? Things, uh, I mean, daily you get prayer requests. Daily you hear of, of individuals. They never expected to have that sickness. They never expected for somebody in their family for a husband or a wife to walk out on them. They just didn't expect that. They didn't see it coming. They thought, sure, I'm serving the Lord, and this won't happen. But it did happen. They got all kinds of difficulties. They they turn, and the writer here is is concerned about that because you have to run the race that's set before you. Now, their particular race, we need to note that it's a tough one because this is a group of people who have come to the Lord earlier. They have faced persecution and done it triumphantly. We need to note that that's his testimony of them. They they faced it triumphantly. They had put up with it and endured, and and that again involves some of them going to prison. It involves some of them losing everything that they owned. And they they'd endured and they had held held the ground. Praise God! Right, then the day retreated or the problem retreated, but it was re it was reoccurring again. I do personally believe that. I think first time through a fight is not so bad. It's the second time through. It's the one, are we going to do that one again? Do we have to, didn't I learn that lesson? You know, shouldn't, shouldn't we be past that? All right. And uh, so they're, they're facing that. And uh, the truth of the matter is they're not sure they want to go into this again. This time they know what's ahead. They can anticipate the pains that are involved. They're looking at it, and, and they're kind of wobbling on this. Now, it's in those contexts that he says, I want you to run a race. I'm telling you these things so you can run with endurance, with patience with the circumstances, even though you don't have control of them with that courage to face what you're actually facing, with that strength which you derive from the Lord to, to overcome those circumstances and glorify God in them. Now, <clears throat> that's where he's going. And along the way, he has this verse, but again, I'm just say this about the book of Hebrews. You, you run into this problem. It's, it's a very difficult book to extract a verse from and tell you what it means because it's all woven together like a message that is woven, in, and it, he has an interesting way. He's, he's a very interesting writer, how he kind of goes this way and then pulls it back around this way, and it, it's all tied in there. This is not an isolated verse. It's not an isolated section. It's more than a verse, but it's not an isolated section. Why does he say what he does? And in order to get to that, I have to go back over chapter 3 and chapter 4 and where he's been. And this, again, fits with all that we're talking about. He's warning these people that there's a danger of missing something. That's back in chapter 3. He says this, there's a danger of missing the rest of God. These verses are written in light of all this. The rest of God. Beware that we we don't miss that. Now, what is the rest of God? What was he talking about there? Well, again, to, to a Hebrew mind... The thought of rest is not the thought of sitting in a hammock somewhere, all right, or going on vacation. The thought of rest is things working the way they were intended to work. It's kind of the thought that occurs when God finished the creation. It's not like that today, but when He finished the creation and He sits there and says, What? It is very good. It is everything about it is functioning everything about it is is in perfect sync with everything else it 's beautiful, it is fruitful it is it 's wonderful in every respect and then what happened man sinned, and the whole thing went out of sync and we live in a world which is completely out of sync there's all kinds of tensions that weren 't there right The concept of rest is what what is In existence, when everything is working together, I think the easiest way we can kind of feel it would be to think of a family working together. Because most of us have lived in a family somewhere along the line, so it's something we can understand. And we all know that in families, there are good days and there are bad days. There are those days when everybody is getting along. And loving, they do happen. (laughs) All right. When everybody's getting along and they all love each other and they're staying out of each other's business and getting in the business where they need to be and out where they need to be. Everything is functioning. And if you've been a parent and you've had that situation, amen, praise God, this is rest. (laughs) This is rest. You haven't stopped working, but. Life is a lot more peaceful. The tensions are gone. And that's the kind of the thought that we have here, that there is a confidence, there's a, there a happiness, there is a peace. Peace could come close, but it's not completely the thought. It's just all things working together. We know it's not a, pa- a passive place because Jesus uses a similar word. It's not exactly the same word. It's a related word when he said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. Why do we labor and are heavy laden? Because we're out of sync. We don't know where we're going. We're not, we're not in tune with the way things ought to be. And he says what? And I will give you rest. And then he says this about, though, take my yoke upon you. Now, a yoke is what you put on an animal when he goes to work. All right, so you just got to get this. You don't, you don't yoke him to go out in the field and eat grass. You don't yoke him when he's in the barn. You yoke and when he goes out there to pull the plow or whatever he's going to plow, plow. Take my yoke on you and learn from me. I'm meek and lowly of heart. And what will happen? You will find that rest. All right. It is the purpose of God that every person in this room experience what it means to be at rest. But where will that rest come? How does it come? Now, again, I will also say about the book of Hebrews is that the the recipients of that letter are drenched, soaked, saturated in the Old Testament. They know all about the stories so that where we might have to go and look up the story and what was happening there, they know all about it. And so the book becomes very picturesque as he puts out this story and that story and builds these He's building this big um, imagine, imagination picture of what's going on. When he said how they came to rest, he takes them back to the experience of the people of God when they left Egypt and were on their way to um, Canaan. If all had gone well, that process would have taken, and it did take to get to the edge anyway, it took about 18 months. 18 months to be ready to go in. And that's the time that he's talking about. During that time, God was trying to bring them to a place where they would be capable of going in. And those people that were were going to be trained uh, come out of Egypt, not as Israelites as we would think about them who understand the word of God. There is no word of God to know except for a few promises. They seem to know what God had promised to Abraham, but they don't have an Old Testament. They don't have a law. They don't have anything. They've been in the middle of Egyptian culture with all of the idolatry of Egyptian culture, with all the thinking, with all the power thinking of the Egyptian culture. And now they're brought out here. Okay, they did see that God's powerful in the Red Sea, but they have a whole lot more to learn about God. And the only way that a person comes to that rest is when they come to a place where they're confident in the God that we heard about last night who's present with us and this is who he is and this is how he acts and that's what I can count on him for. When you come to that place, you will come to rest. That required two things. Sorry, I'm going so fast, but anyway, that required two things of them. They, first of all, had to hear what God had to say because you don't intuitively know what God is. We, one of the truths of the, the word of God we have to get across is it's revelation. This is the revelation of God because if, you don't, if he doesn't tell us who he is, how are you going to know the invisible God? You can take stabs at it, but what difference does that make? Because your stabs are, are, are just hope-so's. But if he says something, we can know. So first of all, he has to speak. He had to tell them who he was, and he was going to tell them who he was. The second thing, though, and this gets us down to that matter of, of the rest, is that he has to allow them to find out who he is by experience. The revelation comes first. Going to make that clear. Our knowledge of God is resting on what this word says. But God is not content... To allow us to sit there with what it says, you have to prove that what it says is true. You not that it it wouldn't be true if you didn't prove it, but you have to find it out. It's one thing to say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but the man who said that learned that. We were thinking about faith last year or last winter in our Monday night meetings. Paul said one time, he's speaking at the end of Philippians, he says, I have learned in whatever circumstance I am therein to be content. That would be a picture of the rest, that I'm content with the circumstance. But he didn't say he knew that intuitively. He had learned that because God had spoken to him and given him opportunity to prove it. And lo and behold, he's trustworthy. The Israelites were put through a crash course on faith. They have a long way to go from the beginning to the end, right? There's a long way to go. They have a lot to learn. And so he puts them through some tough circumstances. Right? Now, let's let's understand that um, when God's trying to train you, it's not all that easy. Later on in the book, it tells us that the promise of the Old Testament is this that it's the covenant, that God will write his law on our hearts. Isn't that wonderful? It's, it's finally going to get there because he's going to write it there, right? But that's not as easy as you might think. Because you can think about that being like a you write on a piece of paper and here it is. But when God starts writing, he doesn't have a piece of paper that's blank, right? I've got a, a printer over in my study. It's, it's really elaborate. I keep looking at it and I kind of laugh because the first printer I wanted, the first laser printer I wanted, it cost $2,000. In dollars that were a lot more valuable than they are today, and I think about this thing. I think I, I got this one for about a hundred bucks. <laughs> I mean, it's a hundred bucks, and it copies, and it does all this other stuff. You know, you're know, like, this is amazing. Anyway, back to our point. Um, one thing you can do is copy, all right. But every once in a while, when I am printing things, I don't pay attention, all right and I had one of these work out this week where I was printing up notes, and I changed the notes around a little bit, and I didn't note the fact that part of the the outline that was on the first two pages had drifted off to a third page. I didn't look at that, and lo and behold, the thing printed out three pages with one line on the third page. Ah! Frustrating. (laughs) I hate wasting that stuff because what do you have? You have a piece of paper. What are you going to do with that? You don't want to give it to anybody. Anyway, the point is this. I could take those pieces of paper and just recycle them. Just stick them back in there. Okay? (laughs) And you print it. But what's the problem? It's already got something printed on it. You keep doing this and you're going to have all kinds of problems. If God is going to put His law on our hearts to use again a computer type of thing, there's a whole lot that has to be deleted. Because every one of us comes to God at the beginning with all sorts of thoughts and concepts of the way He is and the way things are and what's good. Because after all, we don't see God. We're just taking guesses, except for the Word of God's there. We're taking guesses beyond that. And we've come to all kinds of conclusions. And before God, again, imagine what those Israelites would have. Is they've, they've, God is wonderful. Isn't He wonderful? Yes, He is wonderful. He's great. He's powerful. Well, if He was so powerful... I mean, you might not ever think this way. Why did we just spend 400 years making, well, not 400 years making bricks, but why have we been out making bricks? We don't look like we're the powerful people on the face of the earth. And again, let me just say that the concept of the day, the Egyptian day, all the way through the Old Testament, when you think about the idolatry, and it will help you to understand some of the, the prophets' words to Israel about God, was this, that, the concept was that the nation who has the best God wins. That what happens on this earth is reflective of who's, who's in your, who's your God. There's all these different gods. If you pick the right God, if you get a powerful God, then you will win when you go to war. It's my God against your God while we are down here fighting. They're up there fighting. That's the way they looked at it. Okay. If that's the way you were taught, even though you don't believe again, because they don't have a word to work with. Where does that put Jehovah God? Well, that's why, again, it was very important to them that they saw Egypt crunched in an attempt by God to show them that he is on, in control, even if you have been back there. But there's all these other things that have to be taken out of the way. Okay, we have to get those out. How is God going to get them out? He's going to take us through lessons where we take what he says and prove that it's true, where we're given the chance to see it work out. All right? <clears throat> okay. That's what, he was, that's what he was trying to do for Israel. And that's how he's going to bring them to rest. He was going to give them the word, and he gives them a chance to see it. Now, admittedly, their circumstances were dramatic. The Red Sea, there's probably none of us have gone through a Red Sea type experience. Exactly. We probably have seen God do great things, but that's really great. All right? In comparison. And they would every day see food drop out of the sky onto the ground. That's that's not typical experience. All right. Why is God giving this? He's giving it so that they will know. But we also have to make clear in our minds that those people were going through very real difficulty on this, or sometimes really hard on them. Why didn't they believe God? <laughs> well, I'm telling you what, I made sympathetic. I've had uh, kids crying before. Do you know what it's like to be in 115 degrees? Sinai Desert is not, all right, it's, it's not a pleasant place to live. If it was, people would live there. <laughs> but they don't live there. They don't live there because it's a desert, uninhabitable. And okay, you come through the Red Sea and that was tremendous, and here you go and you're out in a desert. How long does it take to get thirsty at 115 degrees? Now we don't know was that temperature at that particular in It ought to have been. But and you got kids. And look around you. Where's the river? Where's the supply? <laughs> what are we gonna do? I can be perfectly sympathetic with the fact that they were a little disturbed about this circumstance. Is it? Is, but God has created that circumstance. That's what we have to really be seeing in all that. God's created it. Why? Because what's most important about their experience is they get to know God. What happens to them on this earth is not so important as they find out who God is. All right? And that's what we've been hearing, right? It's, it is the presence of God that really makes a difference. And if they are going to be what God wants them to be, they're going to have to go through that. Okay, so they go through those circumstances, and we won't take too much more time with that. Okay? After he gets done outlining this, he's, he, he can kind of if you were one of them, you kind of get the point, right? What's the point? God has spoken to us because he's been emphasizing. You've got to listen to what God said. That's one side of it. This is what he said. Don't let it slip. Pay attention. Don't ignore it. All right? And then in accept the circumstance, apply this in the circumstances. Right? So after he gets done with that thing, he says, here's what you should do. You need to ask God to bring you into the rest. Diligently seek to enter that rest. Make up your mind that you're going to come into what they missed. You're not going to let the, the circumstance that God's creating just bypass you. You're going to take hold of that and go forward. Okay? Okay, so that's what he said. Now, then he says, this is all coordinated here. Then he says something about the word of God. And I want to look at that. That's in verse 12 of the chapter we're in. Now we're getting, we're coming close to those verses. All right, we're coming close. He now speaks about the word of God. All right, and here's what he has to say about the word of God. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword piercing as far as the division of the soul and the spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the human heart. And he says this very disconcerting verse or thought. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Do you remember when you figured that out? I hope you figured that out. That there's nothing hidden from God. That everything about me is completely out in the open with regards to God. He knows every thought of my heart. He knows every whimper. He knows every misconception. He knows every irritation. I can hide it from you to a degree. But I can't hide it from him. He knows every temptation I face. Everything I have to say no to. Everything I don't say no to, it's all there. That's not a very pleasant thought, is it? I, I don't think it is. If you think it is, uh, go read Isaiah chapter 6. See, Isaiah didn't, didn't realize, I mean, he, he knew this, but all of a sudden he's in the presence of God and he realizes who he is in the presence of God. This is a very, un, it was very uncomfortable for him. He, he is very disturbed His vocabulary is very strong because now in the presence of God, the writer here says that we're always there. He says something else about the Word of God, and this is important for us to understand about the Word of God. It's not just an intellectual thing. He says it's alive and active. It's alive and active. Put the Word of God in there, and what happens? (laughs) You find out that the Word of God, because of the Spirit of God taking hold of it, it begins to do some dissecting work in there. It begins to show you that, hey, this is, this is wrong. This is, this is different. This, you're, you're, this intention over here isn't correct. And the idea of the joints and the marrow just means this. He's making fine cuts. He's going down into places where this is one side and this is the other side. Where it would be hard to get those apart. But the word of God starts to go in there. And does. It's alive in our hearts. All right? It's alive and it's active. Because God, God's not going to just give you the word and let it sit. It's not up to you to make it work. Just put it in there. It, it it does something when it goes in there. It's a living and active. And what's it doing? It's exposing who a person is. Right. Now that's tough. Last night we heard that one about uh, people have a testimony. You can all kind of feel for it. That when God begins to do that work, there in He's in the the people are in the presence of God. And what happens? They, they start to feel like they aren't converted at all. Why? Because God's going in to rip down and delete all these things that have to be deleted. This has to go. That outlook has to go. That attitude has to go. And You remember that? You know what that's like, right? And you would like to go and you'd like to say, well, let's, uh, let's work this out like a car wash. You know, let's go in there and get it washed. But when you deal with God, you find out that he wants to go really deep because he wants to replace it with faith. He wants to replace all those things with a life which will make a difference, a life which will enable you to walk in the presence of God. He's determined, and he's going to go all the way to the bottom on it. He's going to to sort it all out, constantly sorting it out. And so all these things start to come up. They come up. That uh, It was one of those things that, um, in, in humor, uh, and I've told this many times in the store, but it, we were students when I was a student here at the school 50 years ago, 52 years ago, there were 12 of us. We played volleyball every day. Every day. At the beginning, it was fun. And then we played, and played, and played, and played, and played, and played. And played. Um, there, were some, there were five very competitive men in that class. Very competitive men. All right? We liked to win. And we had a director who liked to win. I would just put him off the side, but anyway, he liked to win too. And he always played. All right? So we're all playing. It got tens of times. There was one day he wasn't on the court. And the tensions rose to the point that it came very, very, very close to boys doing what boys do when they get irritated, right? I mean, we (laughs) we were in each other's face, and it was only the grace of God that nobody actually swung at anybody (laughs) else. And that was only, I think, because we were trying superficially to be spiritual about this whole thing, all right? It had nothing to do with hard attitude and kindness, and loving the brethren with a pure heart fervently and all that sort of thing. Was, and we were embarrassed. I mean, it, it, and it was still steaming at lunch. I mean, it was still steaming. I mean, <laughs> and I remember Mr. Carroll came down there. He looked around, and we were expecting to get it in the neck. He could give it to you in the neck, all right? And just remember, he, he had this way. He would take his glasses off, and he'd just laugh. He said, This is so. He said, You came here because you thought this is roughly the way it was. I won't I'm not quoting this fifty-two years ago. I'm not going to quote him, but it was basically this lecture. You thought you were something. Hey. There's nothing big about this. You had it in your heart. God's got to get it out of your heart. And the only way he can get it out of your heart is to show you it's in your heart. So let it come to the surface. He says, if this place is a place where we boil over, let's boil over. Then let's skim it off. Let's get rid of it. All right? So here's the point I want to get to. All I'm saying that is is to get to these verses. That brings us all the way down to this place where, therefore, all right? This is after we get through this matter of the Word of God doing its work to show we who we are. And then we come to realization we're not hiding with regards to God. He says, therefore, all right? Therefore, since we have so We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. We don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We have a tendency to read those in our own Western and non-Old Testament context. Let's understand what this means as far as the picture goes because they would have this picture. Let's go back to the tabernacle. Tabernacle was the place where people met with God. God was manifested there. He manifested himself in a hidden place. You could not go into that place. Only the high priest could go in there and that once a year. But it is the place where you go to meet with God. It's where you get things done with regards to God. If you are an average Israelite, not a priest. What you do is you come to the tabernacle. And when you get to the tabernacle, there is a gate there. There's that little curtain that goes around the outside. You're not allowed to go past that alone. right? You can go past that. It seems that you can go past. They used to argue about exactly what. But you couldn't go past that alone. Only a priest can go onto the inside. And when you came there, you would come to that entrance way. And the priests are lined up, and they would just kind of file up here, and they would meet you. And you would describe to them your situation. Then they would determine what needed to be done about it, and then they would take you, and they would help you deal with the situation, whatever it was. You were not required to understand all the details of the law. They were supposed to know the law. They were supposed to understand what you were to do. Now, when God decided who would be the priests, he didn't start a priest school. He appointed a particular tribe to be, or a particular family inside of a tribe, to be the priests. And the reason he chose them to be the priests, the reason he did it by family and not by schooling, was because he wanted average people, regular people, to be priests. Not brilliant people, not terribly, deeply spiritual people in the sense of they have a spiritual bent. It could be just whoever they were. They were just born into this. And you would go and you would become a priest. And the reason was that when people, average people, came up there, they could identify. They know what that's like. So that they wouldn't be arrogant with regards to people coming, oh, you're having trouble with that? Oh, that's terrible that you're having trouble with that. Why wouldn't they say that? Because they have trouble with that. And the whole point of that priesthood being selected as a family and not as the graduates of some particular university was so that they would be able to sympathize. They would be able to grab you by the hand and take you in. They then had the right to bring you into this place. All right? Now, if I'm going to run with endurance, the race that's set before me while God is doing a work to show me who I am and purifying that soul, I have to know certain things. And one of those things I have to know is that I have a high priest who meets me at that gate to take me to God who understands what I've been through. When it says that he is, has been tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin, he's not just talking about the fact that he has overcome temptation because temptation is related to circumstances. Right? It's related to circumstances. You don't, you don't sit around having bad attitudes. I did not sit around having bad attitudes towards the other guys on the, in my class. What I had a bad attitude about was, is the fact that they couldn't call correctly. It was the I had a disagreement over whether that hit the line or didn't hit the line, and I've had it with you, and, well, excuse me. You see, it's all related to the real circumstances, the, and this was the race that was set in front of me, because at that point in that year, I remember I would have done just about anything to get out of this race. Let's do something else tomorrow because, unlike some of them, I was still going to be stewing tomorrow. I was working with it. I mean, it's just, it, was, it was a problem for me. i have to admit that at that time. When I got upset, I tried not to get upset, but when I got upset, it didn't go away in the next two minutes. It didn't go away in the next two hours. I could wake up the next morning still stewing. He's like, Lord... He's, he's what? He's delivering me. He's, putting, he's pushing his servant. I wanted to go a different route. All right. I have to know, if I'm going to not avoid God, I have to know that there is one who understands how circumstances frustrate an individual. How they can. Who can feel with this. Who can say to me, okay, that's sinful, but I understand it. Let's go in and get it worked on. Right? It isn't the thought here in this passage that he's just going to say, there, 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 there. It's the thought that that priest who has the capacity to come to the altar and deal with this will take me by the hand and he won't refuse me there. He won't say, hey, that shouldn't be there. The fact that I came to the tabernacle is evidence that he's ready to meet. The great danger is what? You don't come. That's the great danger. Now, the great feature, again, is the, the, the crowning feature of this whole passage for us, this is where it coordinates with everything else we've said, is this, that when the priests in the Old Testament brought you, they could, they could take you to the altar where you would make a sacrifice. That's it. Over there is a building, and inside that building is the presence of God. The manifest presence of God we heard about last night. The Shekinah glory of God. It's over there. It's not here. They could tell you, and this was what they were to tell you when they left that place. They would tell you, Lord, bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. Lord, lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. That's what they were to tell you as you left. But you never got to that place in the inner chamber. Here's the great part with regards to the Lord. The Lord's been there. That place is open now, and the one that meets us over here, the reason he's meeting us there, is to take us by the hand and take us all the way into the inner chamber. We come to the throne. How about that? To the throne. He's able to bring us right to the throne, and we find out there that it's a throne which is filled with grace. If it was one of the grace, <laughs> we would be destroyed there. But it's filled with that grace, right? The throne of grace. And the reason he brings us in there is what? So we can obtain mercy. And the mercy there means we can find from God the grace to help in the time of need. And that would have to do with two things. If you take it back to the picture of the Old Testament, it would have to do with, number one, the problem that's in me with regard to the sinfulness that's in me. That grace to help in time of need on that. But God's not unsympathetic about the other side of it. If the Israelites would have come to him, he would have given them grace to help, and he did it anyway, to supply the need that was causing the problem, to meet in that. He was going to give the the food that was necessary and the water that was necessary and everything that was necessary. He wanted to bring them into that place where they would experience that rest of God because they knew God. God wants you to know him. Now, again, if we're going to keep on praying, we have to know this because here's the problem. I, I just know from talking to people over a long period of time that the devil can do all kinds of things to stop me from coming, to convince me there's no point to come. There's always a point to come, right? There's always a reason to come to that place. Come to the doorway. <laughs> God has made it possible in Jesus Christ, for us to approach him. He's asking you to come. The only place you can really foul this up is don't get to the door. Because the priest can take you in. No matter what the problem is, he has the answer. He has the right to go all the way to the holy place. This is really just an expression. This is an, an exposition, a an amplification of that great truth that by one... that. Uh, But through him, this is what Paul says in the book of Ephesians, speaking both to Jews and Gentiles. He says, through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. All right? We both have our access. Because it's not Jesus who's doing the praying here. We're not praying to him. He's just taking us by the hand and making it possible, standing beside us so that we have the right to be in the holy place. Isn't that wonderful? Where's the great great danger? Great danger is you don't come to the you just don't come to the tabernacle. You don't come and, and receive it. So I just want everyone to really encourage you because that's what he'll do. That's what he wants to do if I will let him accomplish his purpose. And if, I, if it does, it's, just not, it's not everything we need to know, but it, it's a big part in being able to run with endurance the race that's set before us. You can't run the race unless you stay close to God. You can't do it. You just can't do it. You can fake it. You can go through the motions of it up to a point, but finally you're going to... It's, it's got to be a lively thing. It has to be an invigorated life. And that invigoration, which enables you to be patient, which enables you to be courageous, which enables you to be strong to do it, comes from the presence of the Lord and your interaction with Him. It's a wonderful thing to be able to come to the throne of grace. To obtain mercy, what find grace to help in the time of need. Okay, well, let's pray. Father, we come before you and we're asking you to enable us to hear your voice this weekend. We thank you for all you have said. Thank you for what you want to be to us. For the experience of joy and peace that you want to Give to us, Father, we pray for each person in this room. For every one of us, Father, we're asking you, we are pleading with you. Open up our hearts to understand this today. Father, meet us by your Spirit and enable us to enter into it, to know the joy and the peace of of confidence of walking before you, knowing a wall of fire around us, knowing joy in our own hearts. So, Father, we come and trust you for it and look to you in Jesus' name. Amen.